A quick note before we begin, our 2021 FBS team profiles will be released to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters on April 12th. In addition to over 10,000 individual player ratings, ratings for every head coach and coordinator, and full season and single game projections for all 130 FBS teams, we have also nearly doubled the amount of information on our team pages to include more stats, rankings, and metrics. And as always, we make daily updates to our depth charts based on injuries, transfers, and other personnel news. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to join. Sign up as an annual subscriber to receive 18% off or two months free. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition back again. And uh, I'm here with Nick, of course, at CFP Winning Edge, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier at Bogman Sports for myself. And I can't believe what I did last week. It was show 100 and I completely forgot about it and didn't mention it once on the show, Nick. Can you believe that I forgot. I think I'm just doing too many podcasts right now, and my brain is mush. Oh, my my brain as well. I'm I am. <laughs> uh, it, it's basically the last full week before we will release our 2021 FBS team profiles to our Patreon supporters, as you've already heard the uh, ad at the, the front of the show, basically. But uh, I am I am trying my very best to get at least everything somewhat presentable. They're, they're <laughs> a little bit of a mess. I can see uh, light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, there is a, a lot of hours going into right now and my eyes get you know cross-eyed and blurry <laughs> after a while. Uh, and my brain is very, very mushy. So I, I definitely understand, but there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think this time next week, I'll be feeling a lot better. Our patrons will have access uh, and they won't be perfect. We'll still be updating them every every single day, but it won't be, you know, quite the the hours that, that are going into it right now. Things will start to slow just a little bit. But right now, yeah, my brain, my eyes, not not great. Not great. Uh, Xavier kind of in the, in the, uh, the same boat, right? Xavier, you got a lot going on right now. My boss literally asked me last night, when do I sleep? <laughs> I, I did. I, he he sent it to me on Slack. He was like, "When do you sleep?" Just curious. Uh, I found myself awake pulling a Nick. I was watching Duke's spring game at like two o'clock in the morning yesterday. It was it was it was <laughs> rough. Yeah, I mean, baseball just started, and for those of you that listen to me on other stuff, you know, I'm a huge baseball guy, so I've been watching my Diamondbacks uh, lose a bunch, but uh, I'm just happy that we have baseball back right now. So uh, let's talk about some college football, though. We've got 10 teams to go through, uh, continuing our uh, first look series at these teams, and we'll start out. We're going 40-31 to today. Number 40, Louisville. 
who came in at four and seven last year, brought in the 39th ranked recruiting class, which was only ninth in the ACC, uh, 13 transfers out, four transfers in, but a couple big ones here. Uh, Luke McCaffrey from Nebraska, the quarterback, Shy Words from Georgia Southern, and four-star offensive tackle Brian Hudson from Vautech all come in. They do return an all-ACC player and running back Hassan Hall from last season, but they lose a ton to the NFL. A wide receiver Tutu Atwell, a wide receiver Dennis Fitzpatrick, running back Javian Hawkins, linebacker Dwayne Etheridge are all gone. A couple new coaches here in Darrell Sims, the RB coach, Pete Thomas, the QB coach, uh, Jack Bicknell, the O-line coach, and Greg Gasparato, the safeties coach. A lot of uh, switching and changing on that offense in particular, Nick. So uh, what are we looking forward to for Louisville in 2021? Yeah, it's it's going to be very different. And Louisville was a team that came into 2020 with modest to relatively high expectations. They had, you know, had a big, big bounce back season in 2019 under Scott Satterfield. And, uh, you know, similar to some teams that we talked about last week who kind of had that bounce back season in, in 2020, it can go obviously, uh, you know, a couple of different ways when you enter a new season coming in off that sort of momentum. One, did you somewhat overachieve and, you know, then you're kind of set up to take a small step back or are you able to, you know, really continue that momentum and build and, and uh, you know, maybe make that next step to push toward contention, whether it's in, you know, the conference or, or whatever it is. Well, Louisville, you know, was was a team that I think a lot of folks expected to carry that momentum forward. They were kind of a, you know, trendy uh, top 40 type team, you know, was was uh, I think maybe saw some mention of, of uh, potential top 25 uh, in the preseason in, in 2020. But uh, they unfortunately were, you know, uh, not quite ready to take that next step. And 2020, as we have said a uh, hundred and whatever times uh, already in, in this series uh, was, was definitely difficult to navigate for a lot of teams. Louisville had some opt outs, some guys that they were relying on stepped away before the end of the year. Tutu Atwell, Javian Hawkins, as you mentioned, and that played a little bit of a, a role, but I think the biggest part was they just weren't quite ready yet. They, they had uh, had a really, really strong bounce back season in 2019, but weren't quite a top 25 caliber team, weren't quite a um, maybe even a, a you know top 40 type team. They uh, did rank 53rd in our overall team performance. Uh, that's about on average from, from where they were coming into the season uh, over the last five years. So not, not, you know, completely unexpected. They, uh, you know, only ranked 36th in offensive team performance. That was a little bit of a, a disappointment. Uh, they were 73rd in, in defensive team performance, which, you know, they had a lot of, of work to do, even, you know, based on some improvement in, in 2019. Uh, you know, that that wasn't terrible based on the, the standards of what we thought Louisville uh, could potentially be, you know, coming into last year. But four and seven, a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, you expected, you know, maybe a, a winning season, but they are going to have to fill some holes, obviously. I mean, Tutu Atwell was a very exciting player, wide receiver, could do a, a variety of different things. Javian Hawkins, I mean, big play guys. And they've got, you know, some, some uh, 
folks that can fill roles. You mentioned Hassan Hall. All ACC is a return man. You know, he might uh, get a little bit more action out of the backfield, but I, I expect they'll probably go, uh, you know, with a few different guys at, at running back and, and maybe one will eventually emerge similar to what Hawkins did a couple of years ago. But uh, receiver, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried. I mean, they not only lost Atwell, but they lost Des Fitzpatrick, uh, who I think is, you know, might have a chance to be a, a you know drafted higher than Atwell based on uh, some of the you know pro day stuff that that we've seen. But um, you know, looking at, at their wide receiver group, uh, Braden Smith had a, a you know a little bit of a, a some some bright spots as a. Uh, first-year junior college transfer, Marshawn Ford at tight end is somebody who can do a variety of things, has been productive in the past, but there's not a whole lot of, of production returning there. And so I'm wondering, you know, Shy Wirtz is a guy that's going to get to probably play wide receiver a lot. Is he going to be somebody who can transition, change uh, positions and become a playmaker for them? Or, you know, who, what, who's going to step up and become uh, a playmaker out there? So I think that Louisville, you know, Scott Satterfield, I think is a quality head coach, quality play caller, and has done a good job of finding playmakers in his early tenure there. I expect that they'll continue to, you know, do relatively well, uh, putting points on the board. The defense is uh, relatively experienced, but uh, still has a, a lot of room for improvement. So uh, it, it, Louisville's a little bit tricky to, to uh, figure out because, uh, you know, uh, not very much production coming back on offense, a relatively, you know, decent amount of production coming back on defense, but the defense has been – the weaker unit so far. So a little bit difficult to, you know, uh, really see what they're going to be. Our, our early, early uh, projections, we do have them favored in six games. So you would expect them to get back to a bowl game and a couple of the, the games that they are underdogs will be underdogs in or are projected to be one score game, you know, seven points uh, as an underdog to Ole Miss, uh, four points as an underdog to UCF and non-conference play, two tough non-conference opponents there. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be in the mix. They're going to be a competitive team and a team that I do think will contend again for uh, a bowl game. But, you know, now that they took a, a small step back last season, still have a little bit of work to do to get back into that, you know, top 25 type conversation. All right, Xavier, what do you think for Louisville going into 2021? Yeah, I don't think I'm as positive as Nick is. Uh, you know, when you look at this Louisville team, this is a team that relied so heavily on, on all of the players in which he named. And with that being the case, I'm just not ready to go ahead and say that they're going to get back to a bowl, bowl game. Last year they went 4-7, and seven, even with all that uh, NFL talent that's now gone. And, and to, to think that they're all of a sudden going to just be able to put the pieces together, especially offensively, I just don't see where they do that at. Uh, you know, their schedule isn't very favorable, even non-conference-wise. Ole Miss is not an easy game to start the year. I mean, heck, Ole Miss is uh, a lot of people's dark horses in the SEC West going into this year. Um, you know, uh, UCF is never a good, is never an easy game, and never a game you want to have uh, as your non-conference schedule. I mean, and I mean, Eastern Kentucky is a team I think they should be able to get by. You know, we talked about Kentucky a couple episodes ago. I don't even know if they're better than Kentucky at this at this moment. I think they are, uh, just off of the top of the head. I, you know, thinking that they are, but by you know by November, 
let's see what both teams look like. Uh, I just don't know where Louisville all of a sudden turns it around. And the reason why that also is is because last year they didn't really show me what side of the ball was going to get better in the in the next year. Obviously, we talked about the offensive talent that they lost, but this is a defense that couldn't stop anybody except for Notre Dame. You know, they, they held Notre Dame to 12 points, and that was really impressive, but they gave up 46 to Georgia Tech. That's just that, those that kind of inconsistency for me lends me to think they're more on a on the four or five win uh, side of things more on more than the six to seven win side of things for me uh, when it comes to Louisville going into next year. I think it's going to take them at least two years to really rebuild that offense. And I could be wrong; they they could be well above my expectations going into next year. But I think that it's going to take them at least two years more looking towards twenty twenty two before that offense is able to rebound after losing three guys that literally were the face of Louisville's program over the last two to three seasons. Um, and one of the, the, the few, re, you know, the only reasons to watch Louisville uh, over the last couple of seasons as well. And, and on the recruiting trail, they're doing pretty well, you know, for Louisville to be ranked 39th nationally, it's actually pretty decent. Uh, yes. It's ranked only ninth in the ACC, uh, but they are getting quality players and they're getting them funny enough, not even in their own state, which I think is amazing. They're, they're able to tap into States like Georgia where they were, uh, which led, um, which is where most of their recruits came from. Georgia and Florida were the two states that they recruited most of, uh, and got their most commitments from. So being able to go into those states and pick up those three and four stars from those states is a big deal, uh, especially with how rich those two states are. But like I said, I think Louisville's a five, four to five win ball club in 2021. All right. Next up on the list is West Virginia, six and four last season, Nick. Uh, 40th ranked recruiting class, fourth in the Big 12. 15 transfers out for them. Uh, but even with that 15, that of course does factor into the 40th ranking. Uh, two transfers in, including a uh, four star offensive guard, Doug Nestor from Virginia Tech, and former four star Lance Dix. And when I say four star, you know, we've talked about this before. Xavier went over it. They, they always lower those guys to three stars when they transfer as far as the recruiting class goes. But when they came in to college football, these guys were both. Uh, four stars. They do have some returning talent. Uh, all Big 12 last year, running back uh, Letty Brown, defensive tackle Dante Sills, defensive end Akeem Messeter, and kick returner Winston Wright all come back. Darry, a nose tackle Darius Stills and linebacker Tony Fields off to the NFL. Of course, um, West Virginia led last year by a great defense, Nick. What do you think about them going into 2021? Yeah, it's, it's one, a good point, what you were uh, mentioning about uh, the the sort of downgrade in player rating that 247 Sports has been doing with transfers. We don't always do that in, in our numbers. I'm a little bit torn on, on whether or not we want to. Uh, yeah, just haven't. It's kind of a case by case basis. Uh, sometimes we will lower a, a player's rating, and I've been a little bit more aggressive on that. Uh, recently in, in this most recent changeover from 2020 to 2021. But for the most part with transfers, when we reference our player ratings, those guys aren't going to receive a, a big-time uh, downgrade in their their player rating, just for, for future reference for any uh, listeners out there that, that might have missed any discussion on that uh, before. But uh, West Virginia is – a team that uh, did take a big step forward, and and uh, they and Louisville. It's 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 funny how uh, these teams that we talk about in, in this show, this review series, 
often remind me of one another at, at the same point in the rankings. I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. But uh, West Virginia was in a little bit of a, a different situation in year one under Neil Brown than Louisville was in year one under Scott Satterfield. Scott Satterfield took up took over a program where really there was no room to go but up, and they had a big step forward. Uh, West Virginia, Neil Brown took over a team that had had been winning pretty consistently, but the cupboard, though not exactly bare, was uh, much you know much thinner uh, when he inherited it, and so we expected a, a pretty big step back. So his year two last year was uh, somewhat similar to Louisville's uh, you know bounce back season. They they made a lot of progress in year two under Neil Brown. And, and so now they're at that stage, I, I feel like where Louisville was at, you know, the last off season where like, okay, now you've, you've, you've got a winning record. Uh, you've made it back to a bowl game. And now are you going to be able to take the next step? Is West Virginia a, a type of team that can, uh, you know, they, they've got a, a, a limited uh, amount of talent. They've, they've, got more experience than they do have, you know, talent advantages week to week compared to their opponents. But, you know, is that experience, is that coaching going to be able to combine well enough uh, development to get the the program back to a, you know, top 30, top 25 type level? I think West Virginia is a team based on what's coming back, you know, offensive skill positions, Letty Brown is, is uh, coming off a thousand yard rushing season, little bit inflated because he had his, his uh, you know, two of his biggest games were against Eastern Kentucky and Kansas, but still showed a lot of progress. West Virginia ran the football a lot better last season than they did in 2019. They've got a core, Quarterback Jarrett Dagey, who uh, redshirted in you know as a transfer in 2019, uh, finished the season strong, got a, a full year's uh, worth of starting experience last year, and showed some real promise. I thought receivers, you know, guys stepped up like Winston Wright Jr. Uh, was a, a, an All Big 12 type receiver. Bryce Ford Wheaton had a lot of success, and and they've got you know four or five guys who you know have have caught a lot of footballs have. have made some uh you know big plays over the last couple of years for West Virginia will the that group of skill position players all sort of come together and raise you know uh, an offense that uh did show some progress especially you know they were one of the worst rushing teams in the country in 2019 and last season were at least you know decent uh but still an offense that ranked 89th in our offensive uh, team performance rankings. You mentioned that they were a team that leaned heavily on the defense. Well, they ranked third nationally uh, in our team performance ratings on defense. They were 12th in the country in expected points added per play. They were eighth in success rate against. They were sixth in yards per play allowed. So this was really you know one of the top 10 defenses in the country and, and a lot of the numbers that we uh, think are, are pretty important, but you mentioned, you know, big names who are gone, Darius Sills, Tony Fields. They also lost Dylan Tonkery, who's, uh, you know, played a lot of football uh, as a linebacker there. And, and uh, you know, a big uh, loss in the secondary, two big losses really in the secondary. Deshaun Miller, who we've talked about transferred to Auburn, but news just this past week, Tyke Smith, who, you know, really, really uh, productive player, all American type, 
you know, season last year, putting up huge PFF ratings and, and things like that, uh, has entered the transfer portal and, and committed to Georgia and, and headed there. So losing two of their best uh, players in the secondary, losing one of their best defensive linemen, losing a very, very productive linebacker in Tony Fields, there's still, you know, guys returning. Uh, Alonzo Ade had a, a huge season last year as a, a transfer, uh, all Big 12 type season. They've got two guys coming back on the defensive line who had all Big 12 recognition. And, and the linebacker core uh, has had you know some injuries, but transfers coming in, they've had some success. And I think they will be able to cobble together enough to, to still be one of you know a top 25 level type defense but i'm wondering if that offense is going to close the gap a little bit so they're not just you know a unit or a team that relies so much on one unit there will be a uh you know a top 50 type offense hopefully um i have some concerns on the offensive line they ranked 94th in our offensive line ratings last year uh you know even though the they took a big step forward running the football. They weren't particularly explosive and, and they really did feast on some of the uh, weaker competition. And then, you know, just looking at Brown's, uh, you know, weekly uh, numbers, you know, had the 12 yards per carry against Eastern Kentucky, had 10 yards per carry, almost 11 against Kansas. But then, you know, even in 100-yard games against Oklahoma State, four yards per carry. 93 yards against Baylor, 3.4 yards per carry. You know, under four yards per carry against Texas Tech. Uh, just just barely over three yards per carry against Texas. And then, you know, really finished uh, the season struggling to, to break loose with, you know, three and a half yards per carry against Iowa State and three and, and a quarter yards per carry against Army. So didn't really have much success, wasn't able to find uh, running room against the the somewhat decent uh, defenses. So that is a little bit of a concern. Are they going to be able to make more progress on the offensive side of the ball? And, you know, Doug Nestor, big-time transfer, he's, he's one of the higher-rated transfers we've seen this year. He's a 97. You know, one of those guys we haven't knocked his his rating down, was relatively highly rated coming out of high school, uh, has picked up some production points, played a lot at Virginia Tech. He's a 97-rated player according to, to our model. So uh, he should slot in and, and start four returning starters alongside him. So hopefully that unit will, uh, you know, create more running room for Brown, create more time for Daigie to, to you know, use a pretty good receiving core. And if so, this is a team that I think could take that next step. They are favored in uh, seven games, according to uh, our early numbers. And, and then they're, you know, uh, within a touchdown against TCU, within a touchdown against Texas, within a touchdown against Oklahoma State. So if everything comes together, this is a top 25 potential type team, but, you know, they don't have huge uh, roster strength numbers. They, they're a top 30 team in, in our roster strength numbers. And a lot of that is experience, not necessarily recruiting. They've recruited at a, you know, top 40 type level. They, the you know, last three years uh, have averaged 34 and a half is, is their average rating in our recruiting strength numbers. So I, I think that there is potential for West Virginia to take a step forward, but, it's going to be, you know, they're going to have to win a fair amount of, of toss-up games. And I think there's room, you know, for movement in the Big 12. I think they are uh, positioned to maybe uh, take advantage of some of that experience. But 
it's you know it's a it's a tricky team similar to Louisville. It wouldn't be a shock to see them take a a, a small step back before maybe you know in twenty twenty one or excuse me twenty twenty two, you know maybe continue on uh, that that momentum. But I think this is a, a top thirty five, maybe top thirty type team. What do you think, Xavier? Uh, is West Virginia going to take that next step this year? Or do you think that? Uh... Maybe they they become stagnant or take take a step back because they had a pretty good year last year. Yeah, I I don't know I, I'm I don't know if they're able to take that step forward. And the reason why I'm so hesitant is I'm really looking at the quarterback play, and he's got to take a step forward in not being so much of a game manager. And I know people hate that word, but you know his numbers speak for himself. You know, in the games in which they actually needed him, him to, to sling the ball around, he could not do it. And his low his lowest games last year. Uh, QBR and passer rating were games in which he threw the ball over 40 times. So, you know, he has to be able to take that next step where they're not able to establish the run with Letty Brown as much as they would like to. And when they're putting the ball, you know, when they're putting it on his shoulders to be able to go out there and make the throws that are necessary to win those ball games. Uh, I, I think, you know, Scott, you can attest to it. When they, when they played Texas, if he was able to make some of the throws he missed, they would have won that game, you know? And, and so I think that there was, you know, there was, there was a, opportunities missed from West Virginia last year that could have taken their season from just like good to wow. You know, we, we talked about the Texas game, but there was also the game against Oklahoma state where they lost by 14 points. And once again, he was not able to, you know, he, he threw sub 60% uh, in completion percentage and he threw, you know, almost 40 times. And he was sacked five times. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a couple of positions that really concern me that I don't think uh, allow me to say that they'll take a step forward. I think maybe one more recruiting class. And, you know, they've been recruiting pretty steadily around the 37 to 40 range uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, they're 40th again nationally this year. And I think that that bodes well for them going forward. I just, I'm not ready to, to make, say they'll make that jump. Uh, going into the season, kind of like what Nick uh, said, I think non-conference wise though, they will come into the Big 12. And I do like this. They'll be, co- they'll be coming into the Big 12 battle tested. Maryland and Virginia Tech are going to be two games that are not, slumps they're not slouches and i think that that's really going to bode well for a team that needs to figure it out especially like nick said on the offensive line uh going against those two teams are going to be hungry obviously at maryland nobody likes going to maryland maryland's just a tough place to play regardless i think that's a really good barometer game for them to understand where they are going into big 12 play because their first game in big 12 play is a smack in the mouth it's at oklahoma so i think that they have to get battle tested quickly and as long as they are able to win the games in which they are better than, I think they'll be able to, you know, replicate what they did last year. That's where I have them. Another six, maybe seven win team again. Uh, but I'm not ready to go on the eight, nine uh, win team closer to, you know, the top of the Big 12 just yet. I need to see more from uh, from Daigie. I have to see more from him in a more of a uh, aggressive role. 2,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, and four interceptions isn't going to get it done in the Big 12, not when you're trying to become one of the better offenses in the Big 12. So if Daigie can take that next step, and we're looking at a guy that throws, you know, 3,500 yards, 23 touchdowns, five interceptions, then quite possibly. But until I see that step from him, and maybe I'll see it in their spring game, that he's taken the necessary steps uh, in his game, as of right now, I can only say that they're about a six or seven win ball club. I feel called out, by the way. Xavier uh, mentioned Texas versus West Virginia, and also that Maryland is a tough place to play. Yes, we all we get it, Xavier. Uh, Texas has had a rough couple of years. Thanks for that. Uh, but the next team, at least I'll get over it real quick because uh, I know Xavier will be with me on talking about this next squad in Michigan. And Michigan, 
two and four last year. We thought there was going to be, you know, potentially a change in head coach. There was not. Uh, there was a lot of the coach. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, it is. It's still Michigan, tenth ranked recruiting class, uh, in, uh, second in the Big Ten, obviously behind Ohio State only here. Uh, Eighteen out so a lot transfers in including uh, Al, uh alan bowman from texas tech the quarterback um then uh we got no returning all big 10 players for this team uh but they do lose a lot of talent to the nfl chris evans running back fullback ben mason who's been one of the best wide receiver nico collins right tackle Jalen mayfield uh defensive end quitty pay is going to be a first rounder defensive tackle carlo kemp Linebacker Cam McCron and cornerback Ambry Thomas all gone to the NFL. So that is why they aren't returning any all Big Ten talent uh, in this class. Lots of new coaches. Like I said before, Mike Hart, new running back coach. Mike McDonald from the Ravens in New D.C. Uh, Maurice Lindquist, co-defensive coordinator. Uh, Sharon uh, Sharon Moore, offensive line coach and co-offensive coordinator. Ron Bellamy, the new receivers coach. Uh, Jay Harbaugh is going to be the new tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. And Matt Weiss from the Ravens, uh, a QB coach as well. So lots of uh, changes here. Lots of talent out. But the 10th ranked recruiting class coming in. Uh, is this the year that Michigan finally beats Ohio State, Nick? It, can that happen this season? I, right now, if, if I were uh, forced to, to say a yes or no on that, I'd probably say no. I, I, I thought, you know, our numbers were, were relatively high on Michigan coming into last season, at least before, you know, some of the opt-outs and, and things like that. They also had some injury issues uh, as well. But... Last year was a, a a really difficult year, obviously for for Michigan, and and it's I've said this before. I, I kind of don't want to draw too much uh, from the 2020 season for a team, especially if it's negative, because I think there are so many other factors to consider. Uh, you know, from last season that we just didn't have to deal with in, in any previous year, and might not, hopefully, won't you know really apply to future years. So I, I kind of want to give teams uh, a little bit of a pass, but Michigan uh, saw the the uh, only five teams saw a bigger drop off in their team performance ranking uh, rating from 2019 to 2020. They were 122nd in the country. Their, their rating fell almost 12 full points. Uh, they were one of the biggest regressors in the country as far as their defensive team performance rating. They ranked uh, 67th overall, but they fell 13 and a half points that ranked 124th in that, you know, plus minus uh, change from one year to the next. And, and there are only 127 teams that played last year. So one of the, the worst, you know, step backs, biggest step backs from a defensive standpoint Defensive coordinator Don Brown, obviously you mentioned all the new head coaches. They decided to move on from him. Still ranks relatively high, top 15 in our defensive coordinator rankings. But, you know, the the change, I think, was necessary. Uh, did a little reading up at the time of, of those hires. And one thing that stuck out to me is the average age of the defensive assistants dropped by about 20 years. And uh, that doesn't always you know, equate necessarily to uh, a, a positive change, I guess. If you have some least experienced guys, there's not a whole lot of 
uh, you know, play calling history that that uh, their new defensive coordinator has. But ageism in the workplace, Nick. I, I can hear in your voice <laughs> ageism in the workplace. Well, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> one thing that at, at Michigan it feels like from the outside looking in, maybe things are are a little bit stale there. Well, John Lobb, who is a giant, he's one of our best friends and he uh, is a giant Michigan fan. He calls their offense in particular, a caveman Neanderthal offense, because uh, it's, you know, a lot of running and not a lot of taking advantage of those uh, highly ranked wide receiver and tight end recruits that they've used in Michigan. Yeah, and and on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, switching gears slightly, uh, there are more questions even now <laughs> looking at, at what they ended up uh, losing. You know, the quarterback position is obviously in flux. They brought in Alan Bowman from Texas Tech as a transfer. They brought in a five-star. Uh, they were able to sign J.J. McCarthy out of IMG Academy in, in Florida. Uh, you know, and, and uh, so you think, okay, they, they will have options. They've got a, a really, really highly rated, a couple of highly rated running backs coming in. Uh, but those receivers, yeah, they, they haven't quite been able to uh, live up to their potential. And, and you know, some of those guys have, have uh, left. I mean, Nico Collins didn't play last year, right? Opted out prior to the season. Is that correct? And then, yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, they just had Giles Jackson enter the transfer portal. So it's it's a lot of unknowns on offense. I, I think the recruiting that they've done, top 10 rating, as you mentioned, or ranking this year, if, if they hit on some of those true freshmen, I think that really can give a spark. And then defensively, if the new staff, you know, brings maybe a, a different energy, new energy, uh, even though they are less experienced, maybe the the youth will uh, work with you know players a little bit better than a bunch of guys in their mid sixties, like it, it seemed the last staff was. And maybe if they're a little bit healthier, I mean, they had Aiden Hutchinson last year, arguably the best player that they've got on defense, the only hundred rated player in our numbers, uh, missed a, a big chunk. Uh, you know, Michael Barrett uh, showed some promise at linebacker, but he was injured. Uh, you know, it's it's. It's uh, uh, a, a lot of unknowns right now for Michigan and a lot of the knowns coming off of last season, I don't feel great about. So it, it's as is often the case with Michigan, uh, a lot of projecting based, of course, on, on you know, recruiting and, and things like that. But a lot of the outside factors that we try to account for in some way, you know, we do have coaching ratings based on their history. We do have uh, give teams a little bit of a boost in experience and, and things like that. That's not really something Michigan uh, is got a whole lot of right now. So it, it's odd that Michigan, a, a Michigan team, you know, ranked 38 at the end of the season in our numbers, which is the, the, probably the lowest we've ever had a Michigan ranked team just because they are traditionally, you know, ranking in the, in the top 10, top 15 in overall talent, you would expect Michigan or, or I would expect based on our, our past experience, the way our numbers work for that team to start even off of a disappointing season in the top 20 in our power rankings. I mean, that's just sort of a, you know, pencil them in top 20, just based on uh, talent alone, the way this roster is currently constructed they're barely hanging on in in the top 40 in our very very early rankings because there's not very much experience coming back on offense there's not 
you know, a, a lot uh, of promising, uh, you know, production coming back and, and you know, coaching history, th those things, you know, took a little bit of a, a step back in our in our ratings. So a difficult team to project and the way our numbers are treating them, actually, I would expect maybe it, it there's a chance that it gets worse before it gets better. And, and that doesn't really uh, bode well for, you know, the Harbaugh era, but you know, it's, it's a team that I think there are some, if you look hard enough, there, there are some reasons to be optimistic about the future because of the, you know, JJ McCarthy, because of Donovan Edwards, because of the young defensive coaching staff, but you know, will that carry over into wins this year and and will uh that you know if it doesn't will somebody else be coaching these talented players in in 2022 i think finally i was i've always been hesitant when you guys bring up harbaugh's uh hot seat status or whatever i i i see it now i mean it's it's uh, they haven't been able to beat ohio state obviously and then things are not moving in the right direction uh from a lot of the numbers that that we're seeing so it's going to be it's going to be a tough year and and it's a very very important year and with a you know Washington on the non-conference schedule with nine Big 10 games crossover against uh Wisconsin from from the other side of of uh you know the the standings defending West champion Northwestern it's a very difficult schedule as well it's going to be a, a bit of a struggle for Michigan to to put up a winning record uh put up a 500 season and get back to a bowl game I Welcome, mean, Nick. you know, yeah, yeah. Finally. Right. Uh, great, great point, Xavier. We we've been saying this for a while. I mean, look, you know, Harbaugh, Harbaugh is not a terrible coach. He no. coached the 49ers to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he has a good resume, but he just can't get over that Ohio state hump. And even last year it was worse than not beating Ohio state. It was having a below 500 record at Michigan even with that below 500 record and the bad track record against Ohio State, Xavier, 10th ranked recruiting class. I mean, still a top 10 recruiting class because of the history of this school and uh, the traditions that they have there. So what do you think? Is this the year they kind of get back on track or is this another year of uh, what ifs with Jim Harbaugh at the helm? Oh, it's another huge year of what ifs. I think this might be one of – this has to be one of the worst Michigan teams – talent-wise than we've seen in a while. Uh, I, I, when I look at this team, I look at a team that's lost so much and just has not been able to replace it at the level of which you need a Michigan to do so when you have most of your top-quality guys leaving in that redshirt sophomore slash junior season. With that being said, you know, and with, I just don't know where Michigan pieces it together. And, and this, you know, it's going to be a rough 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 year I, you know look to 2022 if you're a michigan fan you know I, when i when i look at the scheduling and i'll just hit on that really quickly outside of you know western michigan and niu i'll be perfectly honest with you i think any other one of these games is a, is a competition i'll be perfectly honest with you you know maybe the game at rutgers i'll take that off the board as well but or, or, or at home against rutgers excuse me but at wisconsin that's not a that's not an easy game at Nebraska. Maybe Nebraska finally makes a step. Maybe one of these teams stops the other one from being in the basement. Northwestern, not easy. They lost to Sparty last year, and we can all say Michigan State wasn't a good ball club last year, or not to the quality talent wise that Michigan was. You know, Indiana, they're going to continue the run. A lot of their talent came back, and so I don't see them having a, a, a significant drop off at Penn State. 
I think they're better next year. Um, at Maryland, we talked about it just a second ago, how hard it is to go up to College Park and Ohio State to finish the year. This could be a four-win ball club, four, maybe five wins. Again, I'll be honest with you. And that wouldn't surprise me because of the fact that they have not been able to uh, to replenish at, at the positions in which they need to. You know, when we talk about their their their, their offense, who's going to step up? Uh, you know, there is no Nico Collins there to, to make up for that. Will it be Ronnie Bell uh, who, who to step up this year? I don't know what the, what is their quarterback situation. Heck, what has been their quarterback situation since Harbaugh has been there? Hasn't been a consistent one, near, nor has it been good enough to win double-digit games every single year with. Uh, defensively, you've always been able to lean on the talent defensively, but outside of Aiden Hutchinson, I'm not looking for I, – there's not anybody on my current radar that I'm excited for like I was last year coming in with Quiddy Pay and himself and a couple of others. I just really don't know where Michigan is able to to, to, to cobble it all together and make this season uh, worthwhile for their fan base. Uh, I think this is a four to five win ball club. 2022, you hit around the head, Scott, should be better uh, for them as they're finishing, you know, 10th nationally. But even for Michigan, you know, to an extent, finishing 10th nationally can be looked can be looked at as, as more of a negative than a positive. Um, you know, this is a team that, in my opinion, should be finishing top seven in the recruiting every year, uh, not, you know, and, and not finishing almost outside of the top 10 behind uh, behind schools that, you know, in, in the past, you might think they should be finishing above an A&M. They should be finishing around or maybe even above an Oregon. I'm finally going to say that Xavier is too critical of Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Come on. No. Uh, top 10 recruiting class isn't good enough for you. Come on. I'm saying what I'm saying is I expect more from a guy who literally came to the South and made them and made them change the rules. That's all I'm saying. I expect a recruiting class from a guy like Harbaugh who has had better recruiting classes. And if you even look down the line, it gets worse. Next year, they're 14th. The year after that, you know, so like it, it's it's trending downward. And if you're at a at a school the size of Michigan, that doesn't look well. Even if it is a 14th overall recruiting class going into 2022, 14 is not good enough. Okay. All right. Well, uh, look, I, I think I'm, I'm with you still. I don't think Michigan is going to have, uh, you know, a huge improvement this year, but still a really good school. So we'll see. They got to get over that Ohio State hump or Harbaugh is not long for that job. We all know that. Uh, all right. How about we go to UCLA? They were three and four last year. They bring in the 31st ranked recruiting class, fourth in the Pac-12, eight transfers out, six transfers in. And they brought in a boatload of former four star Recruits here, quarterback Ethan Garbers from Cal, uh, running back Zach Charbonnet from Michigan, which I, when I was reading that the other day when I was putting this sheet together, I feel like I completely missed that move. I don't remember it happening. So uh, one that just slipped through the cracks for me. Uh, Texas A&M wide receiver Cam Brown and Alabama linebacker Ali Keo. Uh, they do return an all-pack 12 tight end and Greg Dulich uh, from last year, and they do lose two big players in running back slash wide receiver slash awesome playmaker Demetric Felton and defensive end Asa Odigazuwa to the NFL uh, in the draft this season. But what do you think about UCLA going into 2021, Nick? I I feel much more positively about UCLA than I did Michigan. And and it's, uh, you know, <laughs> the teams that will remind me of, of one another as, as uh, has happened in the past. But UCLA, early in our history at CFB Winning Edge, was a team that because – Recruiting rankings and, and ratings are our, the very first ingredient that we uh, use when when building our overall team rankings. You know, Chip Kelly inherited a lot of 
talent. And he came in with a really high head coach rating based off his success at Oregon and, and in the NFL. And so uh, we expected a lot more earlier under Chip Kelly at UCLA. And obviously they were a big, big disappointment his first couple of years. And then last year, they did take a step forward and, uh, you know, uh, were able to make it to a bowl game for the first time. Or, or excuse me, they actually set out uh, bowl season but could have gone to a bowl game. Uh, but, you know, got the win over Cal that that uh, was a bit of a surprise on that, you know, Sunday afternoon in, in early November. Uh, coming off a disappointing first season or, you know, uh, opening uh, weekend loss to Colorado, uh, they were able to to turn the momentum a little bit, played Oregon tough, uh, beat Arizona, played good defense in that game, beat Arizona State, uh, played USC uh, really tough, and then lost in overtime against Stanford. But they were in every game and you know took a lot of, of uh, positive steps uh, analytically at least. I mean they you know ranked in the top twenty five nationally in, in percentage of plays that went. For 10 yards, you mentioned Dulcich, uh, who was an all Pac-12, kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, tight end, real weapon, became one of the most productive, uh, most you know, biggest weapons at the tight end position that we saw for a, a week, you know, on a weekly basis in 2020. Dorian Thompson Robinson, who one of those really, really highly rated players, former, uh, I don't know if he actually was a, a, a five-star, but fringe, you know, five-star recruit at quarterback all the tools in the world hadn't quite lived up to that uh, potential yet, but, you know, put it together, made a, a, a big step forward. He's coming in as one of the higher rated uh, quarterbacks in our, you know, number, uh, our ranking system. He's a 90, uh, 98 rated player now coming into what would be his, his senior year. UCLA is, is, Looks like they are ready to take that next step. They are going to be in our top 25 preseason rankings. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, they return a ton, even without Demetri Felton, who I agree, one of my favorite players to watch, big-time playmaker. But Charbonnet is, is somebody who uh, flashed some potential at Michigan, obviously was a big-time recruit when he got there. But I'm Relatively excited about Britton Brown, who had some success at Duke before he transferred over and, you know, did some good things last year as well. So I think that they're going to be deep at the running back position. I think, you know, everybody basically is coming back uh, in the receiving core and, and at tight end. So I, I think offensively, finally, we're to the point where we will get to see what a, a Chip Kelly offense can do on a week-to-week basis in, in uh, 2021. I think that there's, based on the experience coming back, five starters returning on the offensive line and, and playmakers. I think this is a, you know, got the potential to be a top 20, maybe even top 15 type offense if, if all goes well. And they rank 31st in, in our offensive team performance ratings last year. Defensively, in, in the back seven experience all over the place, the entire secondary comes back, five returning starters there. You know, four guys started enough games to, to be counted as returning starters at linebacker. They've got a, a, a you know a couple of holes on, on the defensive line, a couple of guys that they'll have to replace. But, you know, it's, it's overall one of the most experienced teams in college football. They rank second in returning production, according to Bill Connolly's early numbers third on offense and eighth on defense. So this is a very, very experienced team. 
they, they've got a head coach who has had a lot of success. Seems like, though a lot of people have questioned the, the early decisions that they've made there, slowly but surely they are, they are making progress, and it seems like perhaps they're poised to become one of those breakthrough teams. I know they're, they're probably not going to surprise a lot of folks. Uh, they, they've gotten plenty of, you know, way too early top 25 buzz and, and mention. Uh, so they're going to be a team that's, you know, going to be discussed a, a lot in uh, the fall, in the, in the summer leading into the fall. And they've got some big time games on the schedule. I mean, LSU in the non-conference in, in week two, uh, basically week one, they, they play uh, Hawaii in, in what will be week zero. But, you know, that's going to be a big time game. And and then the schedule, I think, sets up relatively well. They're uh, going to be an underdog in maybe, you know, four games. But, uh, you know, toss up probably against Arizona State, toss up against Oregon. That's that's a tough one. They do draw uh, a difficult, you know, crossover uh, schedule with Washington and Oregon and, and those coming back to back weeks, but they're, they're going to be, I think a team that can beat anyone on their schedule. So, you know, are they going to be able to, to, uh, take care of business week after week after week? Not so sure, but I do think that this is a, a team with top 25 potential that should get back to a bowl game. Uh, but, you know, uh, we haven't quite seen them live up to their full potential yet. So it, it's I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant on calling for them to you know compete for the Pac-12 South. But I do think that they've got that sort of potential if everything, uh, you know, clicks here in, in, in 2021. What do you think, Xavier? I mean, you know, UCLA, is this the year that Chip Kelly kind of turns things around here? Because he's had a pretty long runway here and they still have not taken off. If not this year, then when that is my mentality with UCLA coming into this year, you know, that we we've heard about Dorian Thompson Robinson since his time with the elite 11, uh, you know, we, we've given, you know, we, I say we, but UCLA has given Chip Kelly more than enough leash. You hit around the head, Scott, they've given him more than enough time to get quote unquote, his guys into UCLA um, you know, and, and so what, is it, is it, and I think personally, the Pac-12 is a, is a conference that I look at as a, as a conference that could be wide open in that, that, that three through six spot where, where, where you're looking at a, you know, a conference that I think uh, we, we look at the top two teams in USC and Oregon, but everything else maybe is up for grabs uh, to try, you know, and maybe even to get into that second spot uh, to see how good Oregon is uh, now that their quarterback situation is a little bit in flux, but, you know, I'm really excited to see what UCLA can do this season. Um, you know, I think last year they were just on the cusp in a lot of their ball games from being able to push these teams to the limit. I mean, none of their ball games were blowouts in, in their losses. You know, they just lose to USC, I think on the last play of the game or one of the last plays of the game. You know, they just lose to Stanford in double overtime. They just lose to ball, uh, to Colorado and they just lost to Oregon on the road. You know, th- those games go the opposite way and we're looking at an undefeated team last year. And so I, I think that they can definitely build on that and they can look and they can point to that they can compete with any of the top teams in their conference going into this year. I'm looking for Dorian Thompson Robinson to be a dark horse Heisman candidate, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I think this is a guy that finally takes that step that we've all been waiting for him to take. Uh, offensively, I think they got better with the transfers that were able to come in. I think they're going to be even more explosive offensively. Uh, they're deeper at the running back position, so that's a plus. You know, they're deeper <clears throat> at, the, at the wide receiver position. That's a plus. So I think 
you know, when you look at it and on the offensive line, they returned everybody. And I think that's huge to the, the success of them going forward. Uh, and so I think UCLA is a team that can really compete at the top three or four spots in the, uh, in the, in the Pac-12 going into next year. Nick, you hit it right on the head. Their barometer game is their game against LSU. You know, it's a, it's a neutral side game. Uh, LSU will definitely be looking – well, it's not a neutral side game. Excuse me, my bad. They do have LSU at home. But I, I saw Rose Bowl and immediately thought neutral side. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is a barometer game for them in the fact that LSU will be looking to make amends for what was an abysmal 2020. And in what will be their first game of the season, if I'm not correct, if I'm correct, it is, is going, they're going to be looking – to make amends and really make a statement on will probably be in uh, one of your more or one of your televised games during that week. Uh, so I think, but outside of that, going into the big and on top of that, they got blessed with the two bye weeks this year, which I think is going to be is going to bode well for a season that I think is going to feel a little long for guys who only played you know seven games last year, and, and we've talked about that before. Uh, so I like UCLA. I think there's a team that can win eight to nine games next year, and, and it's going to be one of those teams that come down, coming down the stretch and that three-game window against Colorado, USC, and California has a chance to compete for one of those maybe one, two, and definitely three spots in the Pac-12. All right. The next team up here is SMU, and uh, they uh, were seven and three last year, 52nd-ranked recruiting class. They bring in third in the AAC Seven transfers out, 11 transfers in. They bring in a couple big dogs from Oklahoma and quarterback Tanner Mordecai and tight end Grant Calcaterra. They do have some returning all AAC talent from last year and running back Ulysses Bentley, left tackle Jalen Thomas, and left guard Hayden Howerton. They do lose uh, two big key pieces in Shane Bouchelle and Callan Granson to the NFL. Uh, they also brought in Jim Livett as their new defensive coordinator. So what do we think about SMU going into 2021, Nick? I, I think for SMU, it pretty much all will ride on the quarterback position and, and whether or not either Tanner Mordecai, you know, comes in and, and just solidifies that position similarly to how Shane Bouchelle has the last couple of years, uh, or they brought in a really highly ranked uh, freshman quarterback in, in Preston Stone, somebody who you know came in with a, a 247 rating basically of a, a 95. So, uh, will Mordecai nail that job down and, and be a multi year starter, uh, similar to Bouchelle, or you know, will it be handed over to the young guy and, and he live up to that uh, highly rated potential and and you know, maybe even take uh, things to another level? I mean, usually when you when you hear okay, guys transferring in from Oklahoma, uh, you know, was in contention for the starting job there uh, a couple of years ago. That's going to be your surefire starter. Well, you know, Tanner Mordecai coming out of high school was, uh, uh, you know, almost a 91 rated player. So uh, not quite the level that, that Preston Stone in. So, so that's going to be pretty interesting, I think, because they are loaded. At, at the skill positions, just absolutely loaded, you know, running back, they've got three quality experienced running backs. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth uh, was incredibly explosive last year. TJ McDaniel, before he got hurt, uh, you know, has, has had a good career thus far the last couple of years. Uh, they, they brought in a transfer from North Texas, Trey Siggers, who has had some production. So they are loaded there. And then we think of SMU, you know, I do at least as, as a, relatively pass happy uh offense and and they've got receivers 
in Reggie Robertson uh, Jr. Is, is coming back. He was injured at the end of last season. Hopefully he will be fully healthy because he's basically a, a 100-rated player, according to our numbers. He's a 99-plus, uh, but you know one of the best receivers in, in college football. Danny Gray, one of the fastest receivers in college football, showed a lot of promise in his first year uh, coming over from junior college last season, Rashi Rice has had success. And, and then even though you mentioned they lose Granson, well, they're bringing in Calcaterra, who uh, unfortunately, you know, had to at least momentarily uh, medically retire from his time at Oklahoma. If he comes back and is fully healthy, could be one of the most productive tight ends in college football. But if not, they brought in two other uh, you know, transfers who, who have a lot of potential as well. And Nolan Matthews from Arizona State and Simon Gonzalez from Texas Tech. And then the offensive line ranked 34th in our uh, offensive line uh, performance ratings last year. The two all-conference players returning, four starters returning, and four of those guys are, you know, either seniors or super seniors. So the offense is absolutely loaded as long as, you know, they, they're able to get a relatively smooth transition at quarterback. And even though there are maybe, you know, some more questions defensively, uh, they did rank 74th in our defensive team performance ratings. They ranked 89th in EPA per play defensively, 87th in points per drive allowed. I do really like the Jim Levitt hire. He has been someone traditionally who has been able to come in and elevate the level of play of a defense. He did it at Florida State. He did it at Oregon. He did it at Colorado. And then, you know, prior to that, uh, when he was a, a you know former head coach and and uh, defensive coordinator before that, was was one of the best defensive minds in, in college football. So, you know, I, I still think he's got some in the tank. Was an architect of a, a really really uh, solid defense last year at FAU, and. I think this is a team that on paper should contend for the conference title, for, for the American conference title. Right now it's looking like they're going to be the third team in our American uh, power rankings. They're a top 45 team uh, coming into the preseason, which is a, a pretty good starting spot, especially when the quarterback is not quite as highly rated. Uh, you know, they are seeing a, a drop from a guy, Bouchelle, who is in the nineties to Tanner Mordecai, who is, basically an 83 or Preston Stone, who is going to be uh, a little under an 81 in, in their individual player ratings. So, you know, uh, when they get some production points, if those guys come in and, and you know, against uh, Abilene Christian in week one, North Texas, Louisiana Tech, they kind of warm up in those early non-conference games and, and put up some big passing yards. Those production points will uh, accumulate quickly. And at that point, SMU might be knocking on the door of, you know, a top 30 uh, ranking in, in our numbers. So they're a team, I think, that can challenge. They can beat every uh, conference opponent on the schedule, perhaps, excuse me, perhaps with the exception of Cincinnati. They're looking like a double-digit underdog to Cincinnati right now in, in our early numbers. But, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, able to beat uh, USF, Navy, Tulane, Houston, I think, is a team on the rise, but, you know, still should be able to beat them. Memphis, we have them as an early favorite. UCF, they're a slight underdog right now, but uh, still a game that's within reach there. So we could be talking about a double-digit winning team as long as that quarterback position, uh, you know, 
we see a, a smooth transition there because I think the defense will take a small step forward and then they're just absolutely loaded offensively uh, at the skill positions. What do you think of SMU, Xavier? I mean, obviously a AAC uh, title contender. Uh, you think they can get past Cincinnati? That seems like uh, what Nick said to be the, the blip on the radar there. Yeah, they have a hellacious November. Uh, and that's where I think I, is my most concern here. You know, you go to Memphis, UCF, at Cincinnati, finish the season with Tulsa. So that's that, that's a really hellacious way to end the year with probably the, the top, I'd say the, the top five, top four teams outside of SMU in the AAC uh, to finish your year. I think this is a team that will be undefeated uh, going into November um, and, and absolutely have an opportunity to do it. Nick hit right on the head, though what's going to happen at the quarterback situation. And, and really, it's going to come down to whether or not Tanner Mordecai can win the job outright. I think that if there's any kind of conjecture here, they might just give it to the freshman looking at, at it long term. Uh, you know, you, you know, I, and I really am thinking to myself, do I want to throw a freshman into into college football right away? But the schedule that they have, like Nick said, is very favorable to figuring out who your quarterback is going to be before their off week, you know, Abilene Christian, North Texas, Louisiana Tech, you know, obviously the game at TCU is going to be a big one. Uh, they just keep the undefeated run going, although I think they can win that game uh, even without figuring out their quarterback situation up until that point. USF and then at Navy is not even not ever an easy ball game. But I think those are really that, that's a, a really soft way to start the schedule when you're trying to figure out who your starting quarterback is going to be for when the games get more important and grittier down the stretch. Uh, you know, the, the one thing I will say is that I think this year I am expecting SMU to be a little bit better defensively. You know, they, they are very senior laden at that linebacker position. Uh, they will be, you know, led by a couple of seniors in the secondary as well as on the defensive front. And I'm looking for them to take a, just a bit of a step. I'm not saying SMU is going to be, you know, a Tulsa or a Cincinnati where they're, you know, able to lean on their defense at times, but this is a defense that, now, you know, you, you expect to take at least an incremental step forward that allows their offense to grow into itself because it's going to take some time regardless of who the quarterback is or quarterbacks for that matter to figure out, you know, the, to, to acclimate themselves in the system. Uh, a guy I'm really excited to look at and see this year uh, is Reggie Roberson. I think this is a guy that is going to blow up this year. I mean, I think he's been one of the best receivers in the G5 uh, or, uh, during his time at uh, – at SMU, but I think this is a guy that could easily slip there in, in a late second round, early third round grade going into the draft next year. I'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do. And I think with such a senior laden receiving core, it's going to help out those younger quarterbacks. And I know Tanner Mordecai isn't considered young by any means, but he is young in the system uh, being uh, being a transfer. So I'm excited for SMU. I'm absolutely agreeing here with Nick uh, about what their prospect is going into 2021. You know, and I think, you know, not just – we see this, but I think a lot of, you know, the kids see this. Their recruiting class, 52nd 50 nationally, that's really, really good for SMU, uh, especially when they have to battle, especially when all of the recruits were in Texas. Literally every single one of their commitments, all 17 were in Texas. Um, you know, and when you're able to still finish, you know, in that 50 range as a G5 school where you're competing with Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, you know, it's, it's really nice to see them be able to compete uh, on the recruiting trail just a little bit uh, with those schools. So I really like SMU this year and going forward. The next squad up here is Liberty. Uh, 10 and one last season, a great year for them. 112th ranked recruiting class. You know, we don't expect 
a lot of five stars to be heading over to Liberty. Uh, fourth among independents, seven transfers out, six transfers in. They do return one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Malik Willis. There were some rumblings that maybe he was going to transfer out and go to Ohio State uh, early in the offseason. Obviously, that uh, did not happen. Uh, but what do you think about Liberty? I mean, great season for them, but seems like it's going to be a pretty difficult one to replicate, Nick. Uh, well, it, it will and it won't. I I think that, uh, you know, Malik Willis is the perfect example of what you hope you're, you're going to get out of the transfer portal when a, a Power 5 quarterback enters and, and decides to, to take an opportunity at a G5 or independent or, or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I had my reservations, wasn't sure that he would be able to, you know, m maybe it was a guy who was a little bit uh, overrated coming out of high school, just wasn't able to cut it for whatever reason at Auburn seemed like a perfect fit for the Gus Malzahn, you know, uh, system, what they would be looking for as a, a quarterback there. Uh, and it just didn't work out. So I, I, I was pretty hesitant to, to expect one that Willis would turn into maybe, you know, one of the superstars of, of college football. I mean, you know, you and I, Scott play CFF and, and I have participated in some mock drafts the last few weeks. And he's the unquestioned, you know, first overall yeah. draft pick. I mean, he's not he's, close. No, I mean, there, there's really not even a, a discussion as who else it's, it's going to be because it's kind of the perfect storm of he's a talented guy, found a, uh, a program that was able to uh, use his talents. And, you know, he's, he's working with Hugh Freeze, who, love him or hate him, is a top 30 play caller, according to our numbers in college football, a top 40 head coach. And so it, it all kind of clicked at a place at Liberty, young FBS program came in, you know, our, our five-year weighted average of, of team performance rankings coming into this year, Liberty averaged 106 in the country, three-year weighted average coming into the year, 108th. And so, you know, last season you add Willis and, and you add year two of, of Hugh Freeze, and they took a gigantic leap forward. They ranked 22nd in the country in our team performance rankings and, and, you know, Liberty traditionally doesn't play the toughest schedule, obviously, but, you know, last year they played uh, what three uh, ACC opponents. And, and then, you know, also uh, were able to knock off coastal Carolina undefeated team in their bowl game. So it, it's a, uh, a, a decent schedule, even though, you know, a lot of uh, Conference USA opponents, some Sunbelt opponents, things like that, they still had some impressive performances going able, you know, beating Virginia Tech on the road, pretty big win, coming within a block field goal of, of knocking off NC State and then getting it done in, in overtime against Coastal Carolina. The offense carried a, a lot of the load. They ranked 14th in our offensive team performance rankings. Uh, they ranked, you know, top 10 in the country in yards per pass attempt, which, you know, you think uh, Malik Willis, most of us probably think run first, but, you know, they, they were able to stretch the field and, and create big plays in the passing game with some athletic, you know, relatively unheralded receivers uh, coming in this year, guys like DJ Stubbs, Kevin Shaw, who I think have an opportunity to, to take a big step forward there. So uh, they're, a, you know, a, a solid offense overall, ranked in the top 20 in net yards per play, ranked in the top 
uh, uh, 15 in net points per drive. The defense, not spectacular, but 41st on, in our uh, defensive team performance rating. So overall, you know, Liberty, in a way, kind of came out of nowhere, but put together a very solid season statistically, but also, you know, stepped up and, and picked up some big wins in, in uh, their best opportunities to, to make national noise. So uh, to take such a big step forward, you kind of have to hesitate and, and think, okay, are they going to be able to uh, carry that momentum into a, you know, another double digit winning type season. And it's possible. I mean, right now it looks like they're going to be favored in double digit games. They, they do have some tough matchups. They play Ole Miss uh, November 6th, which that's that's pretty interesting. Hugh Freeze going back to Oxford. Uh, but then they also play Louisiana in, in November as well. So if they're undefeated going in and, and there's every you know chance that they could be uh, because they, they only have one Power 5 opponent going into that game, and, and that's at Syracuse. But they could be undefeated headed into Ole Miss, and then they've got uh, Louisiana and, and finish the regular season with Army. You know, there, there's not a, a – even though I'm pretty high on Ole Miss and, and think they uh, have top 25 potential, you know, there, there's not a, a game on the schedule that's not winnable. But because you mentioned the recruiting classes, you know, even their, their talent rankings, I mean, defensively they still rank 106th right now in our early 2021 numbers on, on defensive roster strength and on offense, even though they produce it or, you know, have produced at a high level and have a lot of experience coming back, they only rank 36th offensively. And a lot of that is production because, you know, Malik Willis is a 97 rated player now, according to our numbers. But yeah, I, I think that they've got the pieces. They don't have a ton of depth, but the offensive line, very good, ranked in the top 20 in our offensive line performance ratings, very experienced, you know, looks like four super seniors and one traditional senior probably going to start on that offensive line. As long as they don't get hit with a rash of injuries, because, you know, after that front line, not really sure that the depth is quite there, but this is, is absolutely a team I think that could win double digit games again. And, and, you know, after, triple digits of team performance rankings the last four or five years they've they've gone all the way into the top 40 in our power rankings which is is a pretty impressive one-year jump uh but i i do think they you know i i think they maybe have some staying power i think uh xavier like nick said the the good news is you know all the games on the schedule are winnable right and, and mm -hmm. they return a lot of talent uh, i guess the bad news would be just the history of this team and the recruiting class being uh, pretty bad for how good they were last year. What do you think of Liberty going into 2021? Yeah, I like them in 2021 to kind of repeat exactly what they did last year. I mean, I think we can all say just looking at their schedule right here, I think their schedule last year was more difficult, uh, in my opinion, than the one they'll be looking at this year. You know, Nick uh, alluded to Louisiana, but I think Louisiana takes a step back in this year. So I don't think they'll be nearly as good, especially losing the kind of talent that they had in their backfield uh, and trying to replace that kind of production. So I, I look at, you know, their schedule, and I think it's very favorable for them. I think, you know, outside of the game at Ole Miss, they can run the table. Uh, so, you know, 10-1, 11 – or excuse me, 11-1, 10-2 uh, tops. 
is what I see for this ball club. You know, maybe they lose that game at Syracuse. You know, Syracuse may, you know, Syracuse always catches a couple of teams that come to, you know, that they have to go up to New York and play. Uh, but outside of that, I think they can win every other ball game on their schedule. Um, and, and I think they, they do that just – and they were able to keep a hold of not just Millie Willis this offseason, but, you know, there were there were a little bit of rumblings around Hugh Freeze possibly deciding to leave. And, they, and holding on to both of them is massive for them going into this year. Like you guys both alluded to, I think that they're recruiting – it just takes a hit because one, people are just learning where Liberty is. To be honest with you, I think most kids are like, you know, don't necessarily even know that Liberty is, you know, in the state in which it in which it resides. And so I think I think it's really tough from that regard to continue to re, to continue to recruit for them. And I just, you know, when you're an independent team as well, you don't get the conference. You know, if somebody plays in the Sun Belt. They get the, t- the television deals. When you're an independent team, it's not the same. You're always on ESPN+. Plus. It's kind of tough. So, I mean, yes, future vision me, eventually Liberty will lose this kind of consistency. But as of right now, I think 10-2, and 11-1 is perfectly reasonable for them to go this year. Uh, I, I hope you're right. They are a fun team to watch, and Willis is a fun quarterback, uh, especially for CFF. So hopefully I get at least one first overall pick, Nick. So I can have him. <laughs> if you don't, on. you won't get him. Yeah, I know. I know. I get. I would be okay with two or three, so I can get Bijan, of course. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. But uh, the next squad up here is a team like Michigan, who we're not used to talking uh, about in the forty to thirty-one range. But LSU, uh, a lot of turmoil going on uh, off the field uh, for this squad, and um, some coaching changes coming in here as well. Uh, they were five and five last year. Still the third-ranked recruiting class. I mean, the tradition at LSU uh, holds steady for them. They're second in the SEC behind, of course, Alabama. 11 transfers out, one transfer in, and um, they don't. Uh, I, they, they returned three all-SEC players last year, um, two on the defensive side, uh, defensive end Ali Gay and cornerback Derek Stingley, who we know uh, one of the best in the country and one of Nick's favorites to watch, of course. And, look, special teams are, are important, Nick. Cade York. Uh, all SEC kicker last year as well, um, losing a ton of talent to the NFL. Uh, two wide, uh, three wide receivers to the NFL: and Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, Race uh, Racy McMath. On the defensive side, they lose uh, nose tackle Tyler Selvin, linebacker Jabril Cox, and safety Jacoby Stevens. All gone. Like I said, they're bringing in some new coaches. Jake Peets is the new uh, OC. He was the Panthers quarterback coach last year. Uh, DJ Mangus who was an assistant in Carolina, you know, obviously these guys going with Joe Brady to Carolina last year is a passing game coordinator. Um, Durante Jones is a new defensive coordinator coming over from the Vikings. Andre Carter, the new defensive line coach from the Jets. And um, Blake Baker, the new LB coach uh, coming over as he was the uh, Dolphins DC or the uh, Hurricanes DC last year. So what do you think about uh, LSU going into 2021? Because there's a lot up in the air here for the squad, Nick. Yeah, and, and this, you know, uh, LSU is is similar to some of the teams we've talked about in this group where there was a pretty wild swing, obviously. I mean, LSU, it, it, it is obvious. It's it's the one of the biggest swings from one year to the next that we've seen in recent memory. I mean, the 2019 LSU team was one of the best of all time. And, and then to come back and the way they started last season uh, just looked like two completely different teams in a lot of ways they were I mean they, they sent you know how many players to the NFL and then you mentioned some of the guys that will be gone now 
but who didn't even play in, in 2020, like Jamar Chase, they expected would be one of the best receivers in college football last year. Well, he ends up not taking the field. Tyler Shelvin, one of the most disruptive interior defensive linemen in the country, didn't take a snap last year either. So those guys, in addition to uh, the players who had exhausted their eligibility or had entered the NFL draft early coming off of that historic 2019 season, we expected you know, to take a little bit of a step back. They were still top 10 in our preseason power rankings, even with all those guys gone, just based on the amount of, of uh, you know, talent coming back. But it, it, it's difficult. You know, it, it wasn't completely unforeseen uh, that LSU would take a step back and maybe even a big step back. I mean, a decade prior, there were a lot of parallels to LSU's rise to the, the 2010 Auburn team that sort of jumped up almost out of nowhere, won a national title, and then the next year took a step back. And then two years later, head coach gets fired because they you know, put up a, a losing record. There is a chance that this 2021 LSU team could do that because they are, you know, they're uh, replacing even more talent guys like you mentioned, Terrace Marshall, who looked like one of the best receivers in college football for most of the season and, until he decided to uh, concentrate on the NFL and, and opt out of the rest of the year. Jacoby Stevens played, you know, a, a pretty uh, unique role on, on defense, was a 100-rated player. Jabril Cox, a you know, one-year transfer, comes in from, from the SCS uh, level, but, you know, proved that he could be uh, you know, a draftable linebacker, a, a guy that uh, did a, a lot of good things last year for LSU on what was a, a you know, at times very, very shaky uh, defense. But, you know, talk about the wild swings. Only one team saw a bigger uh, regression as far as their team performance ranking uh, last year rating, excuse me, Navy was the only team that, that had a, a larger drop off than LSU's 16 points uh, that, that they came down. They ranked 68th last year in team performance coming off, you know, obviously the, the number one ranking in, in 2019. So they, uh, this, this LSU team has, has undergone a lot of changes and it's difficult to know exactly you know, what to expect coming into next year. I expect they will be a top 25 caliber team, but I do have questions. You mentioned all the new coaches. Well, they pretty much, you know, uh, ran through a, a whole uh, new coaching staff, at, at least as far as the coordinators, last year. So now you're coming into uh, pretty much four years straight of having new play callers on offense and then three years straight on defense. So guys learning their third defense in, in as many years. And we don't necessarily know, you know, these play callers are not uh, very, very well known. Don't have a large track record as, as far as calling plays on offense or defense. They're hoping to recapture that 2019 magic by going back to the, the Joe Brady connected guys on offense and, and then, you know, that big, as you mentioned, NFL influence on defense, but, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of count for those guys, at least as far as our numbers go, because they haven't been, you know, FBS offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, things like that. So uh, we have to go in with, with fairly generic expectations, modest expectations in our coordinator rankings. 
um, and, and just kind of have to look at, at the personnel and, you know, the quarterback position is a little bit of a, a concern. Miles Brennan had a, a great start to last year, waited his turn at the quarterback position, but had a, a really ugly injury. They went to TJ Finley, didn't necessarily work out. Max Johnson showed a lot of promise at the end of last year, helped really give them a spark. And they were able to, to finish on a high note last season with the upset over Florida, with the shootout win against Ole Miss, in part because Max Johnson kind of helped spark that offense and, and looked like he uh, could be the quarterback of the future for them. And, and early spring reports indicate that, that he's going to give Miles Brendan a, a real run for that job. So, uh, you know, once they get that figured out, they've got plenty of talent. Keyshawn Boutte looks like one of the best receivers in college football going into his sophomore year. They will find somebody at, at running back. It was a, a disappointing season last year, but with John Emery, with Tarion Davis Price, Trey Bradford, they brought in Armani Goodwin. And, you know, somebody's going to come in and, and uh, give them production, or at least, you know, uh, they'll be able to cobble together enough. The offensive line only ranked 43rd in our performance ratings last year, but experience, not an issue. Uh, all five starters coming back, really, six guys qualified as starters. Uh, all six will be coming back uh, from, from last year. But, you know, Depth is a, a big, big issue on the offensive line for, for LSU. And the defensively, will they be able to take a, another step forward? At times, look completely lost under Bo Pelini last year. If they're able to, to kind of clean things up, uh, you know, get it, get it, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm trying to make it less complicated, just kind of let guys, uh, let guys go out and, and streamline. Play. Sure. Streamline. That's a good word. Uh, they've got the talent. They always do. But but defensively, on paper, this should be one of the most talented defenses in the country. They rank in the top 10 in our defensive uh, roster strength rankings. They rank in the top 10 overall uh, as far as our roster numbers go. But, you know, a lot of experience coming back up front, a lot of experience coming back and, and talented guys in the secondary. Derek Stingley took a bit of, you know, bit of a step back, had some injuries last year. But Proved he was a, a likely a future first-round pick, one of the best players in college football as a true freshman. So, you know, I, I expect that they will be able to take a step forward on offense. I expect uh, that they will take a, a pretty big step forward uh, on defense. I, I think that this, you know, coming off a, a 85th team performance ranking last year, they ranked 125th in the country in yards per pass attempt allowed. They ranked 125th in yards per play allowed. And, and so, you know, they're going to take a big step forward. I think that this is a, a potential, you know, top 25 defense. Uh, that is, that's, that's a huge, huge jump from, from what they were last year to this year. But, you know, uh, personnel-wise, they should be able to do that. Will they make that big of a step in, in one year? You have to think if they at least – play at a top 50 level that this is going to be a, a team that's got top 25, maybe even, you know, top 10 potential could be a, a, you know, number two in the sec West type team. They will open in our top 25 in our power rankings. Pretty sure of that. Uh, even with the kind of, you know, relative unknowns as, as far as play callers go and the, the pretty poor team performance ratings 
from last year. They're just they're just that talented, and and uh, a lot of questions, obviously. But but we've seen LSU jump up and be a national title contending team. That's not out of the realm of possibility. It, it's not necessarily likely, of course, but. Um, I wouldn't be at all shocked if, if LSU is is a top 10 team in 2021. But on the other hand, I wouldn't necessarily be at all shocked if they put up another disappointing year, kind of in that Auburn mold where maybe it's time to, to uh, refresh things overall there at, at LSU. So wide range of potential outcomes, I think. But I think I would side a little bit more toward uh, optimism. I, th- I think there's reason to expect LSU to be a, a much improved team. They were fortunate to, to win those two games at the end of last year. If you look at the uh, post-game win expectancy rates, they were, what, 1%, 2% against Florida and, and then, you know, 25% or, or thereabouts against Ole Miss. So uh, they were very, very fortunate to win those games, but still were able to end on a high note, carry some momentum, and then hopefully get a little bit of a refresh with the, the play callers and, and a, a more normal uh, off season, and I think there's reason to expect a lot of improvement. I, I think it's certainly possible in uh, in 2021. Xavier, do you expect LSU to uh, you know get back to where they have been in the past, or is this a team that you know, like Nick mentioned, maybe like Auburn taking a few years off before making a big coaching change here? I, I think. I lean more on the Auburn side. Uh, you know, we talk, you know, he, he alluded to the 2010 team after Cam Newton. Uh, you know, that team still went eight and five. And I think that that would be right around where I would have LSU in, in 2021 as an eight and five, maybe a nine and three uh, or a nine and four ball club uh, counting the bowl game, obviously. You know, I, I just don't, there's a lot of question marks for me, especially offensively at the quarterback position, because that, although, you know, Nick is right about Max Johnson. It's still the offense had to be cobbled together at times down the stretch. You know, even in that Florida game, he had to make a lot of plays with his feet. And there were just some coverage busts from Florida that just were at that point in the season just didn't make any sense. It's funny you mentioned that. I watched that game last night. Uh, and, and so for me, the biggest question mark is the defense. And can they figure it out after such a poor year, especially in the secondary with the talent that they have? You're right. They made the the right coaching changes after what was a poor year for them defensively. However, you know, an offseason with a brand new coaching staff, which is what they pretty much have, is going to still be a learning curve. And there is no time to learn in the SEC, you know, especially not with, you know, they, they get them a bit of a break in their in the non-conference, but they get right to it in the SEC as soon as the SEC hits with at Mississippi State, Auburn, at Kentucky and Florida in their first four games in the SEC. And so there's not much time for them to kind of figure it out before teams are going to want to be hunting them. Uh, and so for me, and I'm really looking at Ed Orgeron here, you know, what's it like to now be the hunted for him? You know, he's, he was the hunter. He got that championship, that elusive national championship that, you know, LSU fans have been clamoring for ever since Les My or ever since Saban got one, excuse me. And, you know, now what is it like to be the hunted? What is it like to now in every single game you go into, barring the game against Alabama and maybe against Florida, being the team that everybody's gunning for? And I don't know if he, he didn't handle that well last year. Um, and, and I think – and I'm, I'm – Excited to see how he handles that this year, especially with their first game starting off at UCLA. You know, that could be a game that could, you know, 
be the marker for their season, win or lose. And we'll look back on and go, well, that game, they didn't show up. That game kind of told us how LSU would play throughout the rest of that season. And so I'm I'm excited to see what the LSU team can do because of the amount of talent that they bring in and consistently have brought in. But from a on-field performance perspective, still a lot of question marks, and I'm still not comfortable saying that they're going to be a team that gets right back to being atop the SEC West or competing for a top of the SEC West. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It was lean last year for LSU, like Nick said. Uh, you know, they finished off well, but can they keep that momentum going into 2021? That's going to be a big question. Uh, a team with a great year last year, Indiana, six and two, a 54 ranked. 54th ranked recruiting class, which is only 12th in the Big Ten. Uh, not very good there. Five transfers out, three tra transfers in, including former four-star quarterback from Florida State, DJ Matthews. Uh, they have some returning talent here, of course, in wide receiver uh, Ty Freifogel, defensive tackle Demarcus Elliott, linebacker Micah McFadden, cornerback Taiwan Mullen, and cornerback Jalen Williams, who were all Big Ten last year. They lose some talent to the NFL, of course. Uh, Stevie Scott, the running back, wide receiver Wap Billiard, uh, center Harry Kreider, and safety Jamar Johnson all going in the draft. And they have uh, a big coaching change in Charlton Warren, the new D.C. He was the, the DB's coach at Georgia last season. Uh, nice year for Indiana last year, Nick. What do we think about them going into 2021? Indiana is going to be a, a very, very interesting team because they – Obviously, you know, two years in a row have, have been uh, very, very good, have been a top 25 caliber program the last couple of years. Last, last season, uh, they ranked 30th in our team performance rankings. It's looking like they're going to be knocking on the door of the top 25 in our, our early preseason uh, rankings. But there are, I think, some reasons to be concerned. They were fortunate to get a win against Penn State last season. And, you know, offensively, uh, there, there were some major issues. They ranked 75th in the country in our uh, offensive team performance rankings. They actually were uh, 110th as far as the, the change, you know, took, the, uh, took a big, big step back, lost almost seven points off of that team performance ranking compared to 2019, only you know, 15 or 17 teams uh, saw a, a bigger drop off on the offensive side of the ball last year. And, you know, Michael Penix at, at quarterback has had a season ending injury each of the last two years. Was it three now? I mean, he's he's somebody who uh, unfortunately has has uh, struggled to stay healthy. And though, you know, Jack Tuttle, uh, I think, is is somebody who's capable of, of taking over if, uh, you know, God forbid, Penix is, is dealing with injuries again in, in 2021. But, you know, a, a real bright spot in their most recent recruiting class, Donovan McCulley, uh, really highly rated quarterback, highest rated player in the class for Indiana last year. They, they seem to have some some guys in reserve there. But I, I do have questions about running the football, uh, not only because Stevie Scott is is gone, but their offensive line only ranks 66th. Uh, in our offensive line performance ratings last year, and, and they're going to be losing one of their best players in, in center Henry, uh, Harry Kreider as well. So I, I've, I've got some I've got some concerns. I, I do like 
Ty Freifogel, I do think DJ Matthews has potential. Peyton Hendershot is a productive tight end. And, and, you know, even behind Scott, they've got talented guys. Samson James was one of the higher rated uh, running back recruits that they've ever had at Indiana. Tim Baldwin has had, uh, you know, some bright moments and, and they've recruited well at that position also. But, you know, that offense is going to have to get a, a good bit better if Indiana is going to be a team to step forward into a consistent, you know, year after year top 25 threat or, or, or a team that, you know, could put together a, a run at the Big Ten East every once in a while. And, you know, Ohio State is is a little bit in transition from a personnel standpoint, but from a talent standpoint is head and shoulders, you know, above really everybody else in the Big Ten, but certainly uh, a team like Indiana that, as you mentioned, has recruited at outside of a top 40 level, basically. I mean, the, the three-year average in our recruiting strength numbers is is 46 for Indiana. So, you know, it's going to be difficult to have that track record and, and be able to develop guys at, at such a high level to get them into contention. It, it seemed like you know, maybe this on paper could be the year that it all comes together because defensively they've they've got a lot coming back. And and even guys that they missed from last season, uh Marcelino Ball is, you know, one of the kind of a hybrid linebacker safety type guy, all Big Ten caliber guy, maybe even a, a you know, could put together an all American type season. Uh, was injured and, and missed all of last year. Uh, Raheem Lane at, at, at safety, a uh, guy who's played a lot of uh, football, isn't actually uh, on the spring roster. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure what his situation is, but you know, if, if he's able to come back, that would be uh, definitely big. He he had an injury last year as well. But you know, Taiwan Mullen coming back, Jalen Williams coming back, all conference players at corner. Micah McFadden was incredibly, incredibly productive last year. He's a 100-rated player, 25 production points, according to our numbers. And, and then, you know, they brought in Ryder Anderson from Ole Miss, who was a disruptive pass rusher to, to help maybe uh, fill some holes there on, on the defensive line. They did lose uh, a, a former starter, uh, two former starters up front, or two contributors at least, in Jerome Johnson and, and Javon Swan. So defensively, I, I think they are closer to that, you know, top 25 level from an overall standpoint. They ranked 28th in, in team performance last year defensively. They ranked in the top 20 in EPA per play defensively. They ranked 11th in points per drive allowed and, and top 40 in success rate against and 33rd in yards per play allowed. So defensively, really, really solid team. Offensively, I think they've got the potential to, you know, play it at that top 40 type level, but we'll have to take a, a big step forward if they're going to be, you know, able to, to be a top 25 caliber type team next year. And the schedule doesn't fit, you know, doesn't set up particularly well. They've got Iowa to start. That's going to be a very, very tough game. Uh, they have to play Penn State and Michigan, both on the road. And then Ohio State, they'll be, a, a you know, at least a touchdown underdog, even at home uh, against Ohio State, Minnesota and Purdue at the end of the year two you know, teams that could uh, you could see a path to contention, at least bowl eligibility, you know, as crossover games there at the end of the season. So there are no easy outs, really, uh, when it comes to the conference 
schedule, and then they play Cincinnati in the non-conference. Western Kentucky is a team that will be difficult to uh, prepare for, I think, because of their changes that they're making offensively. So a lot of, lot of difficult matchups. We don't have them as, as you know heavy favorites in, in very many games, playing a lot of potential toss-ups, even against some teams that you might expect them to, to – you know, have a talent advantage against Purdue. They're they're you know barely a, a over a touchdown favorite in that game. Minnesota very similar. You know, Rutgers I think will be improved. Maryland I think is a team that will improve. Those are not guaranteed wins. So Indiana is is a team that I think has potential. They might actually be a better team in 2021. You know, as far as our power rankings go and and all of that. But I, I think there's very possible, maybe even likely, that the winning percentage comes down a bit. And, and they're a team that is, you know, seven wins, eight wins. Uh, maybe if, if everything went as well as you could hope, you could see a, a double-digit win potential. But I just think the, the schedule doesn't set up great. And, and then I have so many questions on offense. I, I think this is a team that's going to uh, probably be, you know, similar to the, the last couple of years, seven wins, eight wins in, in that range. All right, Indiana. What do you think uh, for Indiana going into 2021 here, Xavier? Yeah, this is a team that benefited from the rest of the Big Ten having a down year. And I think that that's really why they were a 6-2 and two ball club last year. Uh, able to compete and beat some of the big boys uh, like Wisconsin last year that they were able to beat 14 to six. I think last year was a misnomer for them. Once again, I think the rest of the conference had a dad down year, excuse me. So they were able to compete at a higher level and take advantage of that. And I think that's, you know, and you know, a good job. Kudos to them. However, going into the mean year, way think- to look at Indiana, like I, I just want to know uh, Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for everyone uh, on the Twitter uh, saying basically that yeah, Indiana was good because everybody else was bad. It's kind of kind of a mean way to look at them. I mean, here. I won't say that they didn't benefit from it, uh, but I didn't know, say hey, it wasn't true. I'm just saying it's a mean way to phrase it. That's all. If you're going to send Indiana fans my way, I can tell them all they need to know about Mike Woodson. Anyway, uh, <laughs> getting get, getting back to football, I, I think this year is going to be tough for them. You know, and they hit it right on the head. Their non-conference schedule isn't a cakewalk whatsoever. I think they pick up an early loss to Cincinnati, um, even though that game is at home. It's going to be a big game. I, I don't even think they can start off the year with a winning record. You know, uh, that game, first game going to Iowa is going to be is a hellacious game to get first because Iowa's going to make it ugly and they're going to be and it's going to be a very, very physical contest. And so they get that game. Game one, you better be up for that one in the end or you will get punched in the mouth several times by Iowa. Uh, and, and I just don't really like what I what, what I saw down the stretch from them. The offense started to peter out in a lot of their matchups. You know, like I told you, that they, they went over Wisconsin, which I think was their second to last game. They only went 14 to six. Uh, they let, After the Ohio State game, I put it to you this way, they just didn't seem like a team that was as dominant pre-Ohio State. Uh, with, you know, they, they go and beat the breaks off of both Michigan and Michigan State in back-to-back weeks. Uh, you know, they, they the Maryland game being 27-11, that game was still a little bit closer than the actual score indicates. Uh, and then obviously losing to Ole Miss in their bowl game, a team that we all, uh, I think all agree Ole Miss was, got better last year. But for a team that, you know, 
was one win away from possibly representing the Big Ten uh, or their side of the conference in the uh, the Big Ten championship game would have looked for a better showing. Uh, so going into next year, I think I think you know Indiana is a seven win ball club. Then this is a team that sits right around that that middle part uh, of the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Nick, you hit it right on the head. I think a lot of their games are toss ups, and I think that that you know can go one can either be really really good or really really bad for them, especially. You know, looking at their last three games, in particular, Rutgers, Minnesota, and at Purdue, you know, I'm not so sure that they are the favorites in all of maybe one of those ball games, and that's at Purdue. You know, and so I think that, you know, with that being the case and with expecting the rest of the Big Ten to kind of get back to normal, Michigan getting back to normal, Penn State getting back to normal, uh, they're, they're going to have a, a rough time of it going into next year. Uh, you know, seven wins isn't a terrible year, but all of a six and two year, you're you're thinking, oh, man, this might be a year we were able to capitalize off of what was a pretty good team last year. Stop the brakes, pump the brakes a little bit on that. I think they're more of a six to seven win ball club in 2021. All right, next squad up here is Utah, three and two last season. Nick, thirty-second ranked recruiting class, fifth in the Pac-12. Thirteen transfers out, four transfers in, and former four stars include Texas quarterback Jaquindon Johnson, OU running back uh, TJ Pledger, and LSU running back Chris Curry. Uh, they have some returning talent here, uh, all Pac-12 in tight end Brant Keithy, wide receiver Brenton Covey, left tackle Nick Ford, right guard Satoa Lorena, defensive end Micah. Taafu and linebacker uh, Devin Ford. So uh, lots of returning talent. Uh, what do you think about Utah in 2021? So uh, similar to uh, Michigan, you know, small sample size, similar to UCLA, small sample size. It, it's difficult to really take what we, you know, what we saw about Utah in, in 2020 and uh, project what they will look like in 2021. However, they were able to uh, show some improvement over the course of a five-game season. I mean, you know, started 0-2 and, and finished with three straight wins. But those three wins, arguably, you know, three of the, the weaker teams in uh, the Pac-12 and, and Oregon State, Colorado, though, had a, a good record, but still, you know, power rankings wise, spent most of last year in the 60s, 70s and in, in our numbers. And then Washington State, very similar. Uh, you know, it's difficult to know what what to take from uh, those games. That said, you know, this is a team that was able to post a winning record despite, again, that that turnaround in team performance. They ranked 113th in in uh, as far as their team performance ranking in, in 2020 compared to 2019. So one of the teams that took the biggest step back. They ranked 120th on offense team performance as, as far as compared to uh, 2019. As far as the the numbers itself, ranked 72nd overall in, in in our offensive team performance numbers, ranked 40th overall in team performance. So, you know, a, a team that we had modest expectations for because they were losing so much production, especially on defense, uh, and, and we're still able to be a competitive team week in and week out. You know, we're, we're uh, lost to Washington by three. They looked like they were in control of that game for, for most of the game. And, and you know, overall, uh, very competitive, solid effort in, in 2019. Uh, so I, I do think this is a a, you know, uh, the, the roster set up based on the experience coming back. Cause now that, def, you know, defense, they were basically 
starting from scratch and at several positions last year, well, just about everybody is, is coming back and everybody's really experienced. Our, our early uh, depth chart looks like, you know, three super seniors starting on the defensive line, four seniors total up there, you know, two seniors at, at linebacker, three returning starters, Devin Lloyd, hundred rated player at linebacker. And, and then, you know, very, very young secondary last season, but two guys got starting experience as freshmen, four returning starters in the secondary. So, you know, I, I think that this defense, which was still very, very good, ranked 23rd in team performance, they rank ninth nationally in EPA per play defensively, uh, according to our friends at, at CFBGraphs.com. So, uh, you know, it's it's a, a unit that I think will be one of the better defenses in the Pac-12. Offensively, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic as well. Unfortunately, tragically, of course, uh, lost Ty Jordan uh, in the in the offseason. Um, but, you know, they, they do return a, a lot of – uh, production at receiver, tight end, one of the, the deeper uh, crops of tight ends in the country, two off, uh, offensive linemen that have earned Pac-12, all Pac-12 recognition in, in the past. And then they're they're figuring it out at quarterback and running back, but they've got a lot of options. Brought in Charlie Brewer, who started 39 career games at Baylor, basically a four-year starter, you know, three-plus-year starter at Baylor. And then Disappointed last year, but uh, getting a, a change of scenery and and I think still has the potential to be you know maybe an all conference type quarterback. He seems to have an early lead in the competition there with Cameron Rising. They also brought in Jaquindon Jackson, uh, former big time recruit at Texas. So at quarterback, I, I think they're going to be able to find somebody at running back. Michael Bernard really the only uh, player returning who. I mean, he had 15 attempts last year out of the backfield, and, and that's most among guys coming back from last year's roster. But they brought in T.J. Pledger from Oklahoma, Chris Curry from LSU. So I think they're going to be able to find somebody there as well. I think Utah's, uh, uh, you know has the potential to be a top 25-type team. I was a little surprised they actually finished as high in our rankings last year, you know, finishing 32nd. And then, you know, a lot of – positive signs from an experience standpoint, from a talent standpoint, and some of the transfers they brought in like Brewer and, and Pledger that, you know, uh, couple that with a head coach uh, in, in uh, you know, Coach Whittingham that that seems to overachieve is a top 15 head coach in our, our head coach rankings, you know, put together a, a pretty talented roster, a more talented roster, arguably this year than last year. This is a team that could challenge in the Pac-12 uh, Pac South. I mean, they should be favorites, I would expect, in all three non-conference games. And then, you know, the, the crossover schedule, they do uh, get Oregon. But I, I would expect Utah to be, you know, favorites in uh, maybe eight or nine games next season. So I, I definitely think that uh, it, it's a – this this team seems to be built again to to make another run at, at the Pac-12 South, and we will have USC, of course. I think ranked higher in our, our preseason rankings, but you know Utah is a team that that matches up relatively well with the Trojans and and could certainly give them a run in that uh, matchup on on October 9th 
coming off a bye week. That that's a pretty tricky spot for USC even at home. So I think I think double digit wins is is possible. Maybe we shouldn't count on it, but this is definitely a a team that has top twenty five potential. What do you think of Utah, Xavier? I mean, like uh, Nick said, uh, players in the Pac twelve constantly, um, and. I think they can do it again this year. So what do you think about uh, the Utes for 2021? Yeah, Ty Whittingham just continues to to make this team a contender. And, and at a school that's that doesn't have the, the, the greatest of pedigree for football, but he, he continues to get them back towards the top because I absolutely agree with you and with you and Nick. I think this is a team that can compete again. Um, you know, but we're, we're going to learn a lot after that bye week. You know, Nick hit it right on the head against USC, but they do play Arizona State the week after that. I think we'll learn a lot in that two-game window right there about how good this Utah team really is. I think up until those two games, they kind of play a softer schedule. Weber State, BYU is never tough, never easy to go play at. Uh, but, you know, then at San Diego State, which defensively they should be pretty good, but I think they'd be able to handle that game. And then Washington State at home, I think they'd be able to handle themselves pretty well in the non-conference schedule. Uh, but, yeah, those two games against USC and Arizona State will tell me everything about this Utah team this year and whether they can they can and slash will compete uh, in the Pac-12 this year. You know, I, you know, I agree with you, Nick. I, you know, I, for me, the biggest issue over from Utah over the last couple of years, really since, you know, Zach Moss and company left has been returned, has been getting that offensive production back. And, and more importantly, getting that consistent uh, face at, at a, I was going to say point guard, at quarterback it has been a has been a very, very difficult thing for them to do. They've had a, pretty much of a revolving door at the quarterback position, uh, you know, since Tyler Huntley did end up leaving for the, for the NFL. It's been really tough for them to, to find the solidified and the, and the starter there. You know, and that concerns me a bit, uh, you know, and how much longer are they going to continue to, to, you know, try the one-stop shop for quarterbacks year in and year out? When are they finally going to decide to allow a kid to come in and maybe work through their their problems and, and work through for maybe their freshman or sophomore year and be the guy and just kind of work through it? Um, so that's a concern for me going into next year and really the only reason why I don't see them competing with the USC at the top of, you know, at the top of the Pac-12 South. Uh, but outside of that, they can do it at every other position. Uh, it's just, you know, that quarterback position for me is is a big question mark for them. Uh, and outside of that, though, I think this is a team that can win eight, uh, nine, eight to nine games next year. Uh, I will say, you know, th- those last couple of games, Utah is one of those teams that down the stretch some years gives you a head scratcher loss here or there. And, and that, you know, that at Stanford, at Arizona uh, back-to-back weeks being on the road in the Pac-12 could be where they slip up, even if they are on, on a on a good run at that point. Uh, but outside of that and that game at USC slash the following week at Arizona State, I think this is a team that can compete for the Pac-12 South uh, and definitely try to make another run at getting back to the Pac-12 championship. All right, the last squad up here is uh, a fun one in TCU, six and four last year. Nick, sixty-first ranked recruiting class, ninth in the Big Twelve, nineteen transfers out, so losing a lot of players. Uh, then uh, four transfers in. They did get a former four-star Memphis offensive lineman, uh, Obina Easy. Uh, they do return some talent here. Uh, defensive end Ochan Mathis, cornerback Tra- uh, Travius. Hodges Tomlinson and punter Jordy Sandy Moore 
uh, special oh, teams. Yeah. Right? Uh, all Big 12 last season. They do lose a decent amount of talent to the NFL, though. Uh, tight end uh, Pro Wells, linebacker Garrett Wallow in two safeties, and Trevin Mooring, who could be a first-round pick, and safety guard Darius Washington are going to the NFL. They bring in a new uh, offensive coordinator. Doug Meacham gets a promotion. He was the receivers and tight ends coach last year. And Kenny Hill. The new quarterbacks coach at TCU, making me feel real old. Uh, what do you think about the Horn Frogs going into 2021, Nick? Yeah, I, I, I have reason I think to to feel optimistic, and I know that you know on the offensive side of the ball, there have been some concerns. I know some TCU fans out there have been uh, scratching their heads, beating their heads against the wall for, you know, offensive play calling and, and things like that for years. But the, the level of talent available is, uh, you know, really a, 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 a very solid crop at the skill positions, you know, on the offensive line, you mentioned that they brought in easy, I think can, can help solidify that unit, which was definitely uh, the, the weak uh, part really of, of, of last season, at least from a personnel standpoint, because there was, you know, so many different starting lineups or trying different combinations, had some injuries as well. But, you know, if you can put easy in there, who was in my opinion, one of the top five, uh, available players in the transfer portal over the the off season. He's a guy that's a ninety, you know, almost a ninety four rated player in our VGR Plus player ratings, and and then you put that together with three returning starters, two of which you expect will uh, come back and and start, and then TCU's done a, a relatively decent job recruiting on the offensive line. There's a, a redshirt freshman, or what we're calling a redshirt freshman. Everybody else uh, might have a different. Uh, definition this year, but a guy who only played two games, 14 snaps, uh, Garrett Hayes, probably going to start at, at right guard. And he was a 95 rated player according to 247 Sports. So, you know, if they can get that unit figured out, the rest of the offense, you know, for for uh, that coaching staff to, you know, they're going to have plenty of, of talent to work with, plenty of weapons. Quentin Johnson uh, was a, a, you know, really flashed at times as a true freshman last year, a six, four receiver was a highly rated player, almost a 97. Uh, he's over a 90 now in our player ratings, which is, you know, pretty impressive for a, a true sophomore. Uh, one of my, I, I think rising stars guy, I'm really looking forward to watching in, in 2021. And then Zach Evans was a five-star running back, you know, didn't, didn't start off, uh, you know, super, uh, hot didn't get a, a whole lot of opportunities early in the year, but really worked in uh, towards the end of the season and, and looks like he could be one of the better running backs in the Big 12 heading into uh, 2021. And, and then Max Duggan, who you know had a, a real health scare coming into the 2020 preseason, uh, fortunately was able to uh, get back on the field relatively early, saw action in, in week one, and then started from there on. You know, he's somebody that that I think has a really high ceiling, a, a really bright future. So, you know, if they can figure out the play calling, if they can get some consistency on the offensive line, an, an offensive line that ranks 78th in our performance rankings last year, then, you know, I, I think that they're going to be able to take a big step forward because, you know, this was an offense that ranked 68th in, in our team performance rankings. They ranked, uh, you know, 66th in yards per pass attempts, 67th 
in points per drive. That's according to Brian Fremo. And, and then, you know, top 50 in, in EPA per play. And of course, you know, I've already mentioned them, but try to do it at least once each week. But uh, Parker Fleming, who is a TCU fan who might be out there listening to this uh, at CFB Graphs, uh, put, put those EPA numbers uh, out there that, that we like to reference. So, you know, there's, there's potential there, but uh, I think that, that the offense, you know, we're going to need to, to see some things. We're going to need to see them take a, a step forward, but, you know, defensively, we, we know TCU is consistently one of the better units in the big 12, Gary Patterson, who is a top 25 head coach, according to our numbers is still the play caller uh, on, on defense and is a top 10 defensive coordinator, according to, according to our number seventh, actually, uh, looks like in our, in our early ratings. So, um, you know, I, I think that they will, despite some, some pretty heavy personnel losses, especially in the secondary, as you mentioned, Scott, and, and really in the back seven, if you include Garrett Wallow there, uh, but there's still a, a lot of talent returning. Travius Hodges Tomlinson, you know, one of the better corners in uh, the, uh, the big 12, Oshawn Mathis, a hundred rated player, according to our numbers, uh, did have some injury uh, issues at, at all three levels. So hopefully, you know, we'll have some more uh, luck as, as far as that's concerned in, in 2020. And then going to be relying on some transfers as well. TJ Carter, another, you know, former uh, Memphis Tiger who looks like he's going to transition to safety, but uh, help uh, fill one of those holes there. Uh, and then also they'll they'll return uh, Lakendrick uh, Van Zant at, at safety as well. So I, I think that they will be able to to plug those holes defensively. Uh, and this is a unit that you know put up some pretty impressive numbers last season, ranked first in uh, defensive success rate, success rate allowed defensively last season. So you know I, I think that that they will play, continue to play at a top twenty five level. They were twenty fifth in defensive team performance last season. And then if the offense can take a step forward and become a top, you know, 40 unit at, at minimum with the potential to be a, a top 25 unit, as far as uh, the talent that, that they've accumulated over there, this is a, a team that can give the big 12, you know, uh, week to week, I think can, can give some teams uh, headaches. I mean, they, they always of course play Texas really tough uh, Oklahoma, we expect to be a national title contender. So that will be difficult, probably, you know, at least on paper, a double digit favorite uh, over TCU. But, you know, they're they're the type of team, I think, that can beat anybody in a given week. So uh, I, I would not be shocked at all if they contend for uh, a spot in the Big 12 title game. You know, you, you play Texas in, in their first year. Really, what that that's the TCU's Big 12 opener. Is that Texas's Big 12 opener, Steve Sarkeesian's uh, first Big 12 game there? So, uh, you know, that that's pretty good timing. I think if you're TCU, uh, they play Texas Tech the, the week prior. So anyway, but, you know, I, I think that this is a team that that will contend uh, or at least, you know, uh, be, be worthy of challenging that top tier in, in the Big 12. They're probably going to be uh, right around this this same spot, 31, 30, maybe even 27, 28 uh, by time things kick off in, in the fall. But, you know, a team that I think has top 25 potential, a team that that I wouldn't say is, is favored to make it to the Big 12 uh, title game. They're probably going to be fourth in our Big 12 power rankings, but certainly capable of, of you know, knocking off an Iowa State 
beating Oklahoma State, beating Texas. You know, will they be able to line them up and, and beat all of those? Uh, that that's going to be difficult. They they the last couple of years hasn't haven't been able to to put you know those big type wins one after the other. But I think this is a team that that certainly has that sort of potential if they can you know be a little more consistently or consistent, especially on offense. Consistently consistent, it has been the issue with TCU, to be honest. I mean, uh, they yeah. are consistently good, but never consistently great. They have some great years. They have some bad years, but never, like Nick said, consist consistently consistent. Uh, Xavier, what do you think about TCU in 2021? Yeah, I think this is a seven-win ball club. I, I think that they, they, for me, they sit right at the, the, the at the top of the middle tier of the Big Twelve. Um, you know, when I look at, at an Oklahoma State, and Texas, and Iowa State, and, and Oklahoma, I think they're right in the range, right, right below them in that four-fifth range. Uh, for me, uh, just I, I just don't see where they're able. And to, to Nick's point, you're right; they would have to be all four of those teams to make it to the Big Twelve uh, championship game. You know, three out of those four games are on the road. And I just don't think that bodes well for them. You know, they get Texas at home, but Oklahoma on the road, Oklahoma State on the road, and they finished the season with Iowa State on the road as well. That just doesn't bode well for me as well. Uh, when you look at TCU uh, going in the next year, uh, Max Duggan is a huge question for me. Uh, you know, he has not been able to put it together. I hate to use this word since we just use it so much consistently throughout his career at, at TCU. And can he put it together for 12 games? You know, he'll have a game where he throws for 400 yards and three touchdowns. And you're like, oh, maybe Max Duncan's got it together. And then he'll have a game where he throws three picks against Baylor. And you're like, what happened? Uh, so, you know, I, I think that those high, those peaks and those troughs that they go through throughout the year, if they can get to just a plateau, that might be the best thing for, for, for TCU going into this year. Uh, I think this is a, a seven to eight win ball club. I, the game against California is a weird one for me. Uh, I, I like to use the word barometer game for me, but I think that is one for them being that California defensively is so good, um, you know, or it has been in the past. It'll be really nice to see what TCU does against a California defense that's very stingy, that always has a couple of guys up front that might not be top draft picks, but are just very productive. Is uh, very productive. So I will, I'll be looking to that game at, right before they get into uh, Big 12 play after their game against SMU. And the other thing that I have to add in there is they have an early bye week. You know, they their their bye week is September 18th. That's the third week, the fourth week of the season, excuse me. And then they rattle off all of Big 12 play without a bye week. That is going to, you know, that's going to be tough to, to, to not get a break. Um, I've talked about it and I've hit it, you know, I've hit you guys over the head with it, but this year is going to feel longer to, to, to some guys and others, especially to those those sophomores whose first year was last year and they played seven or eight games as opposed to now playing a full 12 game season. And with your bye week, you know, being in, set, being in September, you know, you're going to be exhausted by no, you know, late October, November, and so do they get some of those games where they they, they come up short, maybe due to some fatigue, mentally or physically. Uh, so, I like TCU to win seven eight games. Maybe they can go ahead and maybe they can contend for the Big Twelve on the back end if some of the things fall for them. Uh, but I just have too many question marks for them, and I think that that nine game run from September 25th to November 27th without a break is going to be hellacious for them. I don't see it going well. Nick, you had something to add? Yeah, I just, I, I've noticed in my own uh, sort of, of looking through this and, and then I didn't, we didn't have our, our traditional uh, sheet to work off of 
this week I, I, I uh, didn't have the, the time to put that together, but I, so I've been working off of our 2021 team profiles and, and the way that I, I've been talking about teams. This has turned towards the end here, less of a, a review and a lot more of a looking ahead. We can definitely see the, the end, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel of, of this series going into the top 30 next week, but, but just uh, ready for those, 2021 team profiles to come out next week. And, and so uh, I know it's been a little bit of a slog talking, you know, two hours every week, 10 weeks or 10, uh, 10 teams a, a week, but we're coming up toward the, the end here. And, and already I think our minds are, are looking ahead to, to 2021 and, and getting pretty excited about it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of spring games happening right now uh, and the draft is coming up, which gets people more invigorated for uh, college football as well. So, uh, you know, because as soon as the draft's over, the new talk is, all right, who's going to be the top picks in the next draft? So, uh, you know, lots coming up on the docket for college football as far as that goes. So uh, remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge for Nicholas Ian Allen at Xavier underscore Trish here, I-C-H-E for Xavier and at Bogman Sports for me. Like Nick said, we will see you guys next week getting into the top 30. So uh, take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.